With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, this is the Turf Show Times podcast. I don't have an original name for it, and I don't imagine that one's coming anytime soon, but uh, someone... Who is here uh, soon and now is Michael Peterson. Michael, uh, you, you may recognize his name, contributing the Daily Links, the Random Ramsdom on Turf Show Times uh, and other posts that may come about here and there. He also is the you know, running, the man, uh, California producer, running, managing editor uh, over at Bolts from the Blue on the LA Chargers, the other team in Los Angeles, totally different conference, not a, not a rival whatsoever. So uh, maybe uh, we can get an LA Super Bowl. And that's what we're going to talk about today, kind of, which is we're going to see if we can get the Rams to the playoffs. We're going to talk about what's in their way, what's, uh, what's holding them back, and what advantages do they have, and what needs to break right in order for the LA Rams to get out of the NFC West for a division win or a wild card. Um, Michael, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Uh, I, I guess I would start with just talking about the Rams in general. What were your thoughts on the way in which they finished nine and seven last season, missing the playoffs? Yeah, so that's a that's a tough draw for Rams fans, obviously, and and I understand that feeling. Again, being someone who's been uh, covering the crosstown Chargers for the last couple of years, um, in Anthony Lynn's first season, the team went from I believe it was five and eleven to nine and seven, and you know before that five and eleven they were four and twelve, so they had this big season the first time uh, the first year under Lynn, and they also missed the playoffs, and they missed the playoffs because. The, the Bengals beat the, the Ravens in week 17 on the final play, and it caused all these dominoes to fall to kick like all these other guys out of the playoffs, and then the Chargers were one of them. So, but especially you guys who are used to winning a lot of games recently, right? You guys, I mean, Sean McVay's done a heck of a job. There's a reason people are hiring all of his assistants um, to you know, be their head coaches, to be their new offensive coordinators. The, what, the team, the culture, and everything that the Rams have done over the last couple of years has been uh, phenomenal and you know the NFL is a copycat league so it should be the highest compliment that you guys are um, you know people want your coaches people want your players people want to pick the mind of Sean McVay you know, and he's such a great person in general you listen to him talk all the time it's it is it's he's a phenomenal listen um, but that's a tough loss and I mean it, it wasn't the 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 Rams team of the last couple of years prior to 2019 right like Todd Gurley wasn't Todd Gurley I think he finished with what less than 900 uh, rushing yards, and and some people might have thought that was you know overachieving after he's been struggling with the the arthritis was it in, in one of his knees, and I know the offensive line kind of took a hit. Yeah. Um, Brandon Cooks wasn't uh, who Brandon Cooks usually is for these teams, right? He's not the the straight shooter, deep shot guy that you know. I remember when he first came to the Rams, there was a mic'd up of, of Sean McVay at practice, one of the first practices for training camp. And he called out a play. He was like, watch this deep shot to Brandon Cooks. And, and Goff nailed him on the run for this 50-yard touchdown in practice. And he went up to 4,000 people and was like, 
like, did you see that shot from Cooks? Mm -hmm. Hey, did you see that shot from Cooks? Like he couldn't stop talking about it. And that's the type of player that Brandon Cooks was. So um, despite their, some of their best players not being their best, you know, nine and seven isn't a horrible record, but for them to go nine and seven and miss the playoffs is a tough draw, especially a year after uh, reaching the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and seeing how that Super Bowl ended. It's just, it, they're not fun feelings. And, and so I totally get it. But overall, you know, still plenty of positives with this team. Yeah, definitely. I think nine and seven isn't that bad. And, you know, they make a field goal against the Seahawks. They go to 10 and six. Uh, you know, that, that bumps the Seahawks down to 10 and six. I mean, very much the the whole situation is built the narrative on the rams taking a step back while true uh is heavily built mostly on perhaps one or two plays during the season because if they make the playoffs if they win a game or two get rolling you know then you can say look they went to the super bowl last year they went to the nfc championship this year it's not that bad things aren't so bad you know uh but it is just that one thing that being said, the Rams 2020 offseason has not necessarily been viewed in the best light by fans or by media uh, for understandable reasons. As you mentioned, Brandon Cooks is gone. Todd Gurley is gone. Those players weren't contributing at the level that they that the team would have wanted them to be performing at or that the players would have wanted them. Those players themselves would have wanted to perform at. Um, so you could always still say, hey, if the next, as long as the next players that step in, whether that's Cam Akers or Van Jefferson or whatever, if at least if they're at least performing at the level of a bad Todd Gurley or a bad Brandon Cooks, then I guess they're about where they were. If they're any sort of advantage, if they're they don't need to play up to the level of maybe 2018 Brandon Cooks, depending on what sort of expectations we set. But can they play? Can Van Jefferson match 2019 Brandon Cooks? Uh, for you, Michael, I'm curious, like, what are the things so that people get to know a little bit maybe about where you're coming from or I do? Because uh, I know that you like football from uh, uh, an X's and O's types perspective. Like, I think like you like certain things in there. So what do you what were you, what do you look for, say, in a good offense and good defense? Is there something where it's like, I want to start with like an offensive line that just doesn't you know, give up, uh, that just doesn't, you know, just a great offensive line or, uh, a quarterback who can make good decisions. Uh, like for you, what are those things? Do you think if you could pick one or two things that you most want to see out of a team and two, like, how would that apply to the 2018 Rams that were very successful 2017, 2018, like on offense, what made them so successful, whether that was Todd Gurley or Andrew Whitworth at his prime, that kind of thing. Uh, and do you see that potentially still existing? Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up offensive line actually. And uh, if you ask if anyone who's ever talked to me knows me as a guy who loves offensive line play, I think, um, all the cliches about offensive line play, like it all, it's built through the trenches, you know, championship teams are built on both ends of the line of scrimmage. Like I, I fully believe those things. And you just watched, um, you know, the 49ers have such a good season. Um, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl on the back of a really good offensive line still do. Um, the Patriots have been super successful with Dante Scarnecchia, who's, uh, I believe he just retired, but he was arguably the best offensive line coach in the country. Um, in the league, and he never had, like, the best offensive lineman either at, at New England. So there, there's a lot, in, you know, in the history books of good offensive lines, 
um, being the cornerstone for, for good offenses that help teams get to the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl, win Super Bowls and stuff like that. Um, so for, for the Rams to be, I think the best team they can be, that offensive line is going to be so important. And I know injuries are a thing. Trust me, as, as a Chargers guy, I understand what offensive line injuries can do to a team, how it can derail your offense, especially depending on the type of quarterback you have behind the offensive line. Now, if you want me to point at um, one or two specific things about an offensive line and, and what I think makes a good yeah. offensive line, of course, it's simply like getting the job done. And um, the Chargers just hired a guy named James Camper from, from the Packers. He spent, I think, 10, 9, 10 years with them um, from 2010 to, I believe, 2018 or something like that. And the way he coaches is he lets players be themselves. And I think that's incredibly important because – players aren't going to be able to do the same physical feats in the same physical way because players are different. Their bodies are built differently and you can drill fundamentals and you can drill skills and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, players just kind of need to be themselves. And, and, and situations are always different where if you can get the job done, then that's better than trying to just get the job done in, in like one specific way and how to do that. If yeah. multiple ways to be done, Offensive lines can do that. So sounds like really simplifying a player's assignment to just say, you know what you're good at, do that. Yeah. So, and, and well, I guess I'm kind of talking around circles, but I guess the point is offensive lines that just know how to get the job done in specific, important, crucial situations. And then by this, I mean third and shorts, fourth and ones, you know, and in inches and stuff like that. If you see or, and watch teams like the Chiefs, watch the Patriots. Um, teams that have been very successful over the last decade. One of the things that has, I think, separated them from um, the less successful teams is whether or not they're able to get these third downs, to get these fourth and inches. And of course, people are like, well, you know, of course they're better because they're able to do that. Well, I mean, how are they able to do that? They're able to do it with an offensive line that knows how to get one yard, two yards when they absolutely need it. How is um, an unathletic quarterback like Tom Brady able to get so many yards and is so efficient on a QB sneak? You know, but teams who have big 6'5", 240-pound quarterbacks aren't able to be as efficient as um, these other teams with yeah. less physically capable quarterbacks. And then besides QB sneak, just like short inside zones, um, halfback dives, like off-tackle type things just for a yard or so. Like offensive lines who are able to find it within themselves to, to, to get just those one, two yards to continue drives, which lead to more points which leads to a higher percentage of possibly winning the game. It all adds up. So this whole spiel is just that I love offensive lines and offensive lines were able to get the job done. And I yeah. think that's what the Rams had in 2018 leading to their, um, their trip to the Super Bowl and combined with the offense they were running, right? The, the Rams ran, they run a wide zone, um, zone run scheme where everything kind of looks the same with minor details. And, and I read a book, there's this excellent book called Teaching the Zone Offense by Stan Zweifel. He's a head coach at the Division Three University of Dubuque in Iowa, but it's such a well-known book and it simply just teaches you the zone offense. And it's such a good foundational um, book to read to understand, especially an offense like um, the Rams and, and what the Niners have just run all the way to the Super Bowl this past season. Um, they just, they're, they're good at a few things. Gus mm -hmm. Malzahn, a head coach of Auburn uh, University, he preaches that he'd rather his team learn um, how to do, you know, a handful of things perfectly than a bunch of things just all right. Mm -hmm. And the Rams have to worry about pretty much just like one type of blocking scheme with just a few wrinkles by the skill position guys. You know, like they don't have to change much of their job. So they can become so amazing at just their zone blocking schemes 
which is much easier to, I think, than gap schemes that worry about hitting certain players and stuff like that. Zone run schemes, basically, you're just on tracks that you take your steps, and it's not so much like you have him um, mm -hmm. no matter what. No, it's just if you take one, two, three steps to your right and say there's a guy who goes away and another guy comes, you have him because now he's in your cone and not somebody else. So as you can tell, I really love offensive line play. Yeah. And, talking it but but i think that's the best thing uh that this rams team can get back to they had it in 2018 but in 2020 if their offensive line stays healthy they're able to gel together like they did in previous years it doesn't matter if it's if you know Gurley's not there anymore cam Akers is a phenomenal running back same thing with darrell henderson and malcolm brown is even very much a serviceable back especially near the end zone so they have the pieces but i think really their success in 2020 will start with what their offensive line can get done yeah, and um, that's certainly the focus for a lot of fans, too, um, knowing that, that that offensive line going 2016, where they were at 4-12 and 12 with Jeff Fisher, 2017 with Sean McVay, they add Andrew Whitworth, they add John Sullivan, they change the makeup of that line. Roger Saffold becomes a star in some respects as a guard, um, and we see improvement from Rob Havenstein and Austin Blythe by 2018. Um, however, the good news uh, there being that Andrew Whitworth, Austin Blythe, and Rob Havenstein are all on the team still. Um, if they showed it once before, can they show it again this time? I do think center is such an underrated position. Um, and losing John Sullivan um, certainly had, think, had to play a part. And I think, you know, a lot of people down on the way that Brian Allen played as a center last year as well. Now, looking at the Rams getting to the playoffs, we know a little bit about what they might have to do if it improves that offensive line, if Sean McVay uh, can get the run game and the passing uh, protection going in the ways that he had going when they were the highest scoring offense, great. But there's still three other teams, and this might be the best division in football, uh, the NFC West. I, I Earlier in the offseason, I forget where, on some podcast or something, I, I think I just sort of measuring it around February, just sort of like, uh, you know, I think this and that and that and this. I guess I sort of have the Rams. I actually had the Rams winning the NFC West. I thought, like, I can see them bouncing back and the 49ers regressing back a little bit and – it just matches that maybe 11 and five gets them the division or something like that. Now, after really evaluating and comparing position groups in the NFC West, I just can't in good conscience not say that the 49ers look like an elite team. Uh, they seem to be strong based on what we saw last season and previous seasons for the most part. They seem to be strong at almost every position and out. And, and are better than most other teams in the division at, at a lot of these positions, their weakness being probably Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so that's going to be their address here. But, you know, it's interesting too, Michael, when we talk about offensive line and taking that step back uh, 2012, the 40, you know, thinking about the Rams now and the 49ers under Jim Harbaugh 2012, they go to the Super Bowl and they lose 2013. They go to the NFC championship and they lose when Richard Sherman uh, tips the ball uh, or the balls uh, to Malcolm Smith, and uh, they lose to the Seahawks in the NFC Championship. They're 12 and four that season, still great. The next season they drop to eight and eight. Sort of feels like a little bit like the Rams in 2018, dropping to nine and seven, and just feeling a little bit weaker. And you know, seeing that this was thing, 
the, the, the 49ers in 2014, when they took that huge step back, they were working with a rookie center, Marcus Martin. You know, they had lost the Pro Bowl center that they had before. They also lose both Patrick Willis, who retires, and Navarro Bowman, whose knee is shattered against the Seahawks in that game. Uh, so there were some huge personnel changes. And you look at the Rams right now, obviously they're – Andrew Whitworth is 39. Uh, the, the, they've lost Dante Fowler. They've lost Corey Littleton. Um, they've lost Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. Big concerns. Going back to the 49ers, they don't seem to have lost – and uh, very much of note, they've added Brandon Ayuk and Javon Kinlaw in the first round. They've added Trent Williams through trade. Uh, what's your evaluation of the 49ers right now? A lot of teams, I, I think there has to be something to the idea that playing in the Super Bowl makes it harder on you the next season. Uh, but how do you feel about the 49ers right now? Yeah, so I agree with you that when you look at the, the 49ers roster, top to bottom, um, it's a good squad, and it, they still don't seem to have uh, a ton of holes, if at all, any holes whatsoever. Um, but you're right. It, depending on how much you believe in, in positive regression and negative regression, um, you'd think with how dominant the 49ers were on defense, mm -hmm. you got to think that that regresses a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, while they didn't lose anybody besides DeForest Buckner and they add in and Javon Kinlaw, who's absolutely just a dog in the middle of defenses. He, he's a freak athlete himself. You don't think that's going to drop off a lot. But um, I guess when you look at history and you, you see what, these, what this defense has been and 2019 was an outlier, what's, what are the chances uh, of the reality going to be, which is the chances are probably the 49ers are going to regress. And, um, you know, maybe some of these young linebackers, because the 49ers have some good guys and Fred Warner, uh, Dre Greenlaw, um, you know, who stepped in for, I believe it is, uh, Quan Alexander, mm -hmm. um, you know, like young names that people didn't know who they were and they played like over expectations. Well, yeah. um, you know, there's a chance that they continue to be really good or there's a chance that they also take a regression, you know, the, the, the secondary, there was an undrafted free agent named Emmanuel Mosley at a cornerback who, again, undrafted player who came out of nowhere and was like a really good cornerback on one of the best defenses in the NFL. You know, yeah. there's just these, these things that have small chances of happening. They happen. Like, you know, first and second year linebackers were like really good, almost all pro level type players. You have undrafted players coming through in the clutch um, for a team that also has stars, you know, on other positions. So um it doesn't seem like they can take a step back, but the reality is more than likely they're maybe just not going to be as efficient. You know, maybe the pass rush just isn't as efficient, just doesn't get home. Maybe opposing offenses have just, you know, they'll spend the offseason figuring out how to attack that defense, you know, especially yeah. within the division. That's why, um, and I agree, this is the best division in football, like for sure, top to bottom, defensive, offensive talent. Um, coaches are all doing amazing right now as well. Um, and offensively, you pointed out that you think Jimmy G is probably their, their loose end, if, if any, on either side of the ball. And I, I think that's true. There's, you know, it's tough for quarterbacks. Did to anyone ever shoot. tell you, I mean, I, I, well, I'll just post the audio here, but does anyone ever tell you that you look like Jimmy G? No, that's a really great compliment. Thank you very much. I've gotten a couple. Um, uh, I've gotten Stephen Amell from Arrow. And I've okay. gotten Henry, Henry Cavill once, but nice. I think that was just because I was wearing glasses and I looked like 
Clark Kent for a second. There Who cares? Go. Doesn't matter. Anyway, Jimmy <laughs> G, the loose thread of, of this 49ers tapestry. Now, um, as a, as a, I'm a former Iowa Hawkeye, I went to the University of Iowa. We had a quarterback named Nate Stanley. He was just drafted in the seventh round by the Vikings. Nate Stanley had this um, knack for throwing at least one interception a game that made you want to run your head through a wall um, because you just didn't understand why it was thrown. And it was usually a pick, um, sometimes a pick six, making it even worse. But that's how I see, and even people I know who cover the 49ers saw Jimmy G. They're like, he, he does a lot of good things. He helps them stay on track, um, keep the offense moving, keep the defense off the field, you know, longer and longer. But every once in a while, he would throw a pick, and it would just be like, why – would you ever throw that pass, Jimmy Garoppolo? And so that's something that you can't really gloss over. You know, I don't know. He's, he might make another jump as a quarterback, right? I think he's 28 years old, maybe going on 29. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if he's peaked. You know, I don't know any of that stuff. But that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a hard thing to shake, right? It's just an awareness thing. Um, but, again, talking about negative regression, they ran the ball really, really well. And they've got good offensive linemen. And they just added Trent Williams for crying out loud. I mean, like, what a deal to replace Joe Staley with Trent Williams. Yeah. But do we see that that running game maybe negatively regressing as well? You know, it's it's just tough to look at the whole of the 49ers and see how great they were at, at defense, getting up the passer, and how good they were running the ball and think that neither of those is going to change. One of those is probably going to change is there's a chance that either uh, both of them do. So while they're still intimidating, we've seen some – teams that maybe at one point we almost thought of as super teams. I think of like the Colts in 2013 you know, or 14 when Luck had like Andre Johnson and T.Y. Hilton and, and Frank Gore when he was still like, you know, energetic and stuff. Like there were teams that we thought had great offenses and we couldn't believe how great their offense was. And then like nothing happened. Yeah. Um, and there's a chance that something maybe in that neighborhood happens this year for the Niners. You know, just speaking on like, yeah, that regression and talking about the 49ers uh, and how teams change year to year. Uh, I'm on Football Outsiders um, and they have DVOA, defense adjusted value over average, just an efficiency metric for teams uh, and they rank stuff. And if you'd like to learn more about how that works, you know, you can go to footballoutsiders.com. We don't have time to explain it all here, but just pretend like it's points allowed or something if you'd like. But, uh, you know, looking at, say, the top 10 teams in DVOA for defense last year, number one was the Patriots, and they had been 16th the year before. Number two was the 49ers, and they had been 23rd the year before. Steelers had are next. They were 13th the year before. Consistency for the Baltimore Ravens is always they were fourth, and they were third the year before. But then the Bucks were fifth, and they were dead last the year before. Now, after that, you do have the Bears, Bills, and Vikings who were all top five teams uh, the previous year in 2018, so they stick around. But then other teams uh, that had fallen into the bottom uh, 10 after being in the top 10 were the Texans, the Jaguars, uh, and then you see teams like the Chargers and the Cowboys who had uh, done worse on defense. And a lot of this stuff largely, I think, unpredictable. We forget that the 49ers had two interceptions in 2018. And then they had the number two pass defense in the NFL the next year. So I don't know how much of that comes down to Nick Bosa. Uh, and, you know, he was obviously a huge impact that they didn't have the year before. But I could see uh, I could see the 49ers being somewhat steady on defense just because they were only eighth in points allowed. 
if they can stick around, you know, if they get a little bit worse and there's a few things that bounce around, maybe they're about the same on defense. And I do agree that the offense, it's just interesting too, because I'm looking at it too. They only had one player on their offense that they drafted in the first round uh, who was starting. Do you know who that was? Um, on the 49ers offense last year? Yeah. One player um, that they had that, drafted. One player that they had drafted. In the first. Uh, it was recent. Mike McGlinchey. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Offensive line guy over here. <laughs> yep. I should have uh, known that. They only have one other first-round pick total, which was Lakin Tomlinson, on the offense starting. You know, so they were built on a lot of second- and third-round picks like Jimmy Garoppolo, Tevin Coleman, Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, these guys were like second- and third-round picks. Weston Richburg. I find that interesting. But I also thought Raheem Mostert, I thought, looked – I mean, obviously, he was, like, blowing it up towards the end of the year and in the playoffs. Just, like, if they can do that again, obviously, I think – I do have to have the 49ers as my number one team. Uh, in the division, uh, my number two team, surprisingly, I think has to be the Cardinals, even though we don't really know about Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and what their careers, their careers and their trajectory. A lot of it will be defined next season, at least in the way that people talk about them, good or bad. It's going to come down to it because especially for Kingsbury, this team is, I think, loaded on talent and the second most talented team in the division. Uh, where do your thoughts on the Cardinals and uh, I mean, I guess just also, do you think the 49ers are still the best team after all that being said? Um, yeah, I, I do think the, the 49ers are still the team to beat in this division. Um, they've built their team in a way that is good for sustained success. You know, uh, we talk about negative regression. Well, you know, it's not like their pass rushers disappeared. It's not like any of them got hurt. Uh, the running game is still mostly intact, and they still have you know a future Hall of Famer uh, replacing another future Hall of Famer. So um, I still think they're built to succeed. And like you said, these are guys on you know contracts as second, third, fourth round picks. And even when they you know some of these guys are up for second contracts, you know I don't think they're going to demand you know market shifting money that'll force the 49ers to have to you know in the next coming years re. Um, tool their you know offense or defense because a bunch of their players went on to huge contracts so i think they'll be able to keep a lot of their contributors um current contributors on a second contract you know and I, I don't mean to interrupt it's just interesting too to think about like kyle shanahan had two bad seasons but then he got to the super bowl and i know people are very high on kyle shanahan but it just makes me think like they were higher on jim they were even higher on jim harbaugh and they were probably even higher on steve mariucci it's been interesting to see that the 49ers have had got have gotten off to really impressive starts and then shockingly they can just they've shown that this stuff can go away really quick mm -hmm. i mean same thing with uh with, with the chargers and that for every you know, team had yeah team. yeah like yeah, yeah you can find an example for every team that um lynn had two really good seasons got better in the second than he did in the first and then came crashing down due to you know a plethora of reasons but it happened nonetheless um so, yes, I do think the, the 49ers are going to be the team to be in this division. Now we move over to the, the Cardinals, and you're right. There's still um, certain unknowns, and there's unknowns about important pieces, which is Kyler Murray at quarterback, Cliff Kingsbury at head coach. We don't know if this type of offense is going to be something that can have sustained success, this whole air raid thing. But um, he certainly has the tools to make it work, right? And DeAndre Hopkins coming over is – 
It's like the biggest blessing you could have given to Kyler Murray in his second year um, mm-hmm. in, you know, an offense like this. Like, that's absolutely insane. And them being able to get rid of the David Johnson contract and, and then have guys like Kenyon Drake, who was, you know, just kind of a middle-of-the-road person. We all thought he was a high-upside guy with the Dolphins, if ever given a shot. He's proven to, to kind of be that uh, person now with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, offensively, trying to – the offensive line still needs work. Um, for sure. So going again about how offensive lines usually lead to success, you know, you go over their depth chart and guys they have like, you know, their best guy right now is looking to be Marcus Gilbert, who's their right tackle. He's 32 years old. Um, they got Justin Pugh, um, but he's 29, you know, Sweezy is 31. So they've got some decent players, but they are on near or on the wrong side of 30. But man, they just need to hold up a little bit in pass protection because that air raid's all about getting the ball out fast, making quick decisions, and kind of um, forcing the defense to make a mistake and taking what they can give you. There's a reason why Kyler Murray, like, was one of the top three passers just in terms of attempts early on in the first five, six games of the season. What kind because, of what ahead. kind of offensive line do you need for this? And did, did, what, are you seeing that, like, with with Kingsbury's decisions? So, when it comes to an offense like the air raid. Um, and I'll lump in um, other quick hitting offenses like what the University of Oregon ran with Chip Kelly and, and coaches after Chip Kelly as well, because they still kind of run something fairly similar. Um, these offenses, at least in my view, make the their jobs easier. Again, because if the offenses are quick hitting, it means that offensive linemen inherently do not have to work as hard um, and stay engaged and locked in and getting their job done. Um, you know, they don't have to worry about that as much. So, like, as an example, when I was watching Tyrell Crosby, who was a tackle, came out of the University of Oregon a couple of years ago, like, I couldn't really um, evaluate him as a draft prospect because he, like, took two steps, got in the way of the defensive end before the ball was out. You know, he didn't need to put his hands on him and engage in the block. This is the type of stuff we're talking about. And it's the NFL, and so defenses are faster. So, yes, guys will need to be put hands on. Um, they can't just, you know, barely try, but – it puts a lot of, or it takes a lot of pressure off the shoulders of the offensive line to hold up in pass protection. Now, does you know, Oregon, all that, sorry, know. sorry again, but does, does Oregon have that guard? Who's like the best lineman in football, college football. He's a, he's a left tackle, mm-hmm. left tackle. Now what's the difference there? Is there a way for you to watch how, how dominant he is? Um, so I haven't watched a ton of his film from what I've seen. And I obviously haven't gone back to watch Justin Herbert since he's a charger now. The offense that Mario Cristobal is running isn't as quick hitting as Chip Kelly and some of those guys. There's more pro style concepts, more five step drops, like NFL type uh, passing stuff, especially coming out of the shotgun mm-hmm. where that offensive line holds up. But if you go back, you know, to to when Willie Taggart was there for I yeah. think just the one, one year, year. Um, Chip Kelly, and then I feel like I'm missing somebody, Scott Frost. Um, I think he was there for a year or two. Like those guys' offenses are just. It's just so fast. So um, that's a really good question. But now with Herbert and Cristobal over the last two years, um, that offense has slowed down to where it is a little bit more pro style. So that is why you were able to um, evaluate and watch uh, Penny Sewell um, from there. Um, But yeah, long story short, it's just you don't need like the most athletically gifted offensive lineman, um, the the best in the entire world to, to make this offensive line work, right? It's just hold up for, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and that's kind of it. You're never going to see Kyler Murray hold on the ball for, like, a terribly long time unless it's, you know, a second and long, third and long, 
um, one of those situations where he does have to have uh, route combinations develop further down the field. But for the most part, they're going to try to, to keep the, the tempo up. Um, and that means getting the ball out as quick as possible, which just means offensive linemen will not have to hold up um, as long as other offensive linemen who play in maybe a more pro style offense. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, the Cardinals, you know, that's, that's going to be a big question. It's interesting because Clint Kingsbury, you know, at this point, he's just the Cardinals coach, but a lot of the focus at Texas tech, like he wasn't even a, a very, didn't win very many games at Texas tech to go from, not being brought by, back by the Red Raiders to, you know, to coaching the Red Cardinals here. Uh, they add Isaiah Simmons on that defense. It's going to, you know, it's like, again, with the defense and the offense, because knowing I went to Washington State University uh, uh, before Mike Leach ever got there, but I still followed it. And I just remembered when they hired him after his, you know, after he had done so much for the air raid at Texas Tech, a lot of the talk at the time was like, Listen, three or four years, it's going to suck. This offense is going to suck. It's going to be boring. It's not going to work. You have to wait for them to get the right personnel in. You have to wait for them to be able to implement the system, and then it'll work. Uh, and surprisingly enough, you know, a couple of years ago, the, 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 the Cougs almost uh, got to the Rose Bowl, I think. You know, they, were, they had had a good season. They won like 10 games. Mm -hmm. uh, they could never beat the Huskies ever, so they would not have ever gotten there. But – uh, uh, that seems like one of those things. So I, with Cliff Kingsbury, like, and the air raid offense in general, is there a version of that that can work in the NFL? Can the same version work in the NFL? Can a team pass it 700 times? Can Kyler Murray, I guess, even pass it? Uh, I mean, 700 times, I think Matthew Stafford or whatever has maybe done that or come close, but, uh, is that, is that functional, uh, on the league or are the, are the players too good on the other side of the ball? Um, yeah, that's a really good point. And if we're going to start with the individual Kyler Murray throwing it that much. So we look at his, his rookie season, he threw it 542 times. Um, mm -hmm. I could probably look up where that ranked in the NFL, but that seems like a lot. I, I think you know, off the top of my head, you kind of land in the 400 somewhere high 400s. If you, um, if you were one of the more frequent passes, 542 seems like quite a bit, especially for, for a rookie guy. And remember this guy is, you know, a, a former top baseball prospect. So like, you got to know that that arm is probably real loosened up, well-oiled and can probably last for quite a bit, but it doesn't mean you still want to do that, um, to your quarterback. Now, the idea of, does it last in the NFL? Um, it'll probably have its own run where it'll be fine, you know, like it'll work. And then the success of it really comes down to whether or not the players themselves are just able to execute it, you know, for X, for X amount of years. But, you know, you've seen really good defenses and good defensive schemes that are good for a couple of years and then, and die down. And we want to use the Rams as an example, their wide zone play action scheme has been really good the last couple of years, but people seem to maybe clamp down on, on it a little bit this past season, you know, barring, you know, there might've been, the injuries to the offensive line, but like it still seemed like people were maybe figuring it out a little bit more. And I think that's probably what to expect with, you know, the air rate. And mm -hmm. um, it's going to change. That offense isn't going to stay, you know, as close to what Kingsbury did at Texas Tech, um, you know, in year four than it is. You know, it's going to be different than it is now, you know, a couple of years from now. They're going to make changes. Um, you know, it's not like Kingsbury, as long as he's, he's the head coach at Arizona, 
Um, he's going to run some form of the air raid. Like it's never, he's never going to just be like, okay, we're going to run the pro style now, you know, however he builds the team, it's going yeah. to be this air raid style of attack. Um, and you so, don't add DeAndre Hopkins without changing. Like you like at that point, like when you add DeAndre Hopkins versus we're never going to have DeAndre Hopkins at that point, you're like, okay, well, we weren't going to phone funnel our offense and, and have a number one receiver, like a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, but now we do at that point, the air raid has to evolve anyway. Right. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I mean, you, you get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins and you should be like, Oh, air raids here to stay. Like, this is going to be amazing. And, um, so I pull up, I mean, I'm sitting here staring at their, their receiving stats, their, their top guys. And I mean, they've still got some players and, and DeAndre Hopkins is probably one of the only people that would overshadow the fact that they still have Larry Fitzgerald. Like, and, and Larry is as old as he is, but like, man, that guy is unstoppable. And when he stops playing football, it's going to be very, very weird. Um, but even, you know, as, as, one of the oldest players, especially at receiver in the NFL, he still had 75 catches, 800 yards, um, only had four touchdowns. I guess that still actually led the team, it looks like. He tied with David Johnson. Um, but then you've got a guy like Christian Kirk, and he wasn't like the, the most amazing prospect coming out of Texas A&M a couple of years ago, but he's budding into something special. Like he, he had a quick connection with Rosen um, two mm -hmm. years ago. He had his own connection with uh, Kyler Murray this year, he had 68 catches. So, you know, just a couple handful behind Fitz for 700 yards, had three touchdowns himself. Um, they, I mean, and you kind of made a point, like they, they didn't have like a true number one, like, yeah, of course that's Larry Fitzgerald, but like their receiving numbers are pretty steady across the board, 75, 68, 50, 36. I mean, there's no, like, it wasn't like the Chargers were this past season where it was Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and then nobody, right? Like this team is going to, to distribute the ball to everyone. But of course, with DeAndre Hopkins coming in, um, there's no way he's not getting a thousand yards. There's no way he's not getting six, yeah. seven, eight touchdowns. Um, if he gets a hundred catches, that's something to look, um, look at as well. Um, does he get a hundred catches in an offense that looks like they spread it out quite a bit? You know, if you look at all these snap counts, you know, like David Johnson had 36 catches, but he's the one guy that's gone. You know, they still have Fitz, Kirk, Kenyon, Drake, who caught 50 balls himself. Are they going to be able to find 100 catches so that, you know, what if that means 130 targets, mm -hmm. but are they going to find 100 catches for DeAndre Hopkins? I think that's going to be tough. And maybe DeAndre Hopkins comes in and is successful, but maybe it's a different type of success and maybe he's not as much of a focal point as he has been with the Texans. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, yeah, to draft that quarterback, number one, add DeAndre Hopkins, have Larry Fitzgerald, add Kenyon Drake and how successful Drake looked towards the end of the year uh, because you brought it up. Most pass attempts by a rookie, Andrew Luck, 627. Carson Wentz, 607. Derek Carr, 599. Sam Bradford, 590. Peyton Manning, 575. Kyler Murray comes in sixth at 542. So all five of those guys, well, five of those guys ahead of him, obviously Andrew Luck had issues with his injuries. Carson Wentz has had issues with injuries. Derek Carr has just not really hit that next level. Sam Bradford had issues with injuries and never really hit that next level. And then you've got Peyton Manning. Then you've got Kyler Murray. Then you've got Chris Winkie. Wow. 540 attempts for the Panthers in 15 games. If he had played in one more game, he would have been – even higher, but uh, then you had Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, Brandon Whedon, Andy Dalton, Baker Mayfield, Rick Meyer, Ryan Tannehill, Jim Kelly, Deshaun Kaiser, Blake Bortles, Gardner Minshew, Daniel Jones, 
20th, Dak Prescott. Just interesting. A lot of those guys who threw a lot of attempts didn't have uh, or aren't having uh, very solid careers yet. Um, but Kyler Murray, his 6.61 adjusted yards per attempt, one of the highest marks among those guys is good news. Uh, but maybe less encouraging news is Jameis Winston, uh, Baker Mayfield, also pretty high up there. Gardner Minshew was at 7.28. Uh, Dak Prescott, really impressive. Anyway, um, just a, it, it will be interesting to see what the Cardinals can do. We'll wrap up with um, – and we're also talking about with all these things when we talk about the 49ers' offensive line and run game. Uh, and I, I'm really interested to see Brandon Ayuk. I think a lot of receivers in this class obviously are interesting. But, I mean, uh, he could be a huge game changer for them if he worked out ideally. Uh, and then with the Cardinals, of course, the receivers and uh, Murray and the air raid offense, all of these things have to apply. To, do the Rams have any answer for this? They were 20th in defense on DVOA last year. They, they, that was their, their biggest weakness. You know, I'm redoing the 99 season, and one of the biggest reminders about that 99 team is that the defense was better than the offense. That's how great of a team that was, uh, was that arguably the defense was better in the offense the Rams too in 2018 had great you know they had Aaron, you know, that Aaron Donald and all they've got talented players but do they have answers for DeAndre Hopkins do they have answers for Kyle Shanahan's run game and finally do they have answers for Russell Wilson the Seattle Seahawks go 11 and 5 finish second in the division they've been to the playoffs in seven of eight years since drafting Wilson they've had a winning record in all eight of those seasons um, they've won a Super Bowl. They went to another Super Bowl. But in the last five years, that's not really the case. The Seahawks are always a threat to get to the playoffs, not a threat to get to the Super Bowl. This season, this offseason feels even worse, I think, for them. When you look at their pass rush, without Jadavian Clowney, they're bringing back nobody. They've got no pass rush. Their offensive line, again, is going to be a mishmash of cast-offs from other teams. Uh, they are the anti-49ers. They've got nothing but the quarterback. So what are your thoughts on the Seahawks? Is a quarterback enough again for Seattle to get to the playoffs? Russell Wilson is something else. And anyone who's watched him, so as Rams fans, you guys watch him twice a year. Um, you guys know how good Russell Wilson is. You know, and you can – you, you can smack talk all you want, but the guy is absolutely phenomenal, and he makes a lot of something out of nothing. But unfortunately for Russell Wilson, that is like what he has to do year in and year out. Yeah. This team is nowhere near uh, the team that went to back-to-back -back Super Bowls. It is nowhere near the Legion of Boom. It is nowhere near the, the, the dominant run game that uh, you know, was Marshawn Lynch. Um, it's just it's not any of those things, unfortunately. But – Besides Russell Wilson, when you think about, okay, what can the Seahawks, what players can they hang their hat on? Well, you've still got Tyler Lockett, but Tyler Lockett, I don't think has yet to record over a thousand yards uh, receiving. I don't think he's ever caught a hundred passes. He is really good at his role. And luckily for the, the Seahawks, that's a role that helps them win games. They've got second year receiver DK Metcalf, who was one of the best rookie wide receivers um, last season. I think he's a guy that will probably um, push 4,000 yards receiving. 
He's more of a deep threat physical guy as well. He can still run some good routes, but he's going to be down the field a little bit more. So he may not push for 100 targets or 100 receptions, but he's a good player as well that they can build on. Um, as far as, you know, a third wide receiver, you're looking at, um, you know, he's so irrelevant that I can't even think of his name. I think it's like, uh, is it Jerron Brown or is it uh, They're going Philip Dorsett, I think maybe. Oh, they got Philip Dorsett. So there's another uh, deep speed, linear speed type receiver. So, Maybe that's what the offense looks like this season. Maybe it's just a bunch of guys um, using deep crossers, go routes, taking advantage of certain coverages, and Russell Wilson using his escapability to, you know, break plays and make something out of nothing. Maybe that's what it looks like. But we all know that Pete Carroll loves to run the football. And it's insane to me that a coach who loves to run the football so much hasn't done jack in terms of building and creating a good offensive line. So as an offensive line guy, I don't like what he's done at all. And it's so tough, especially for someone like Russell Wilson, who probably deserves way better. I also, if anyone doesn't know, Russell Wilson has had some incredible years over the last decade. I think we can all admit that. He's never received an MVP vote. He's never once received a single MVP vote. Bobby Not Wagner has received one. Yeah, so it's, even his own teammate linebacker has gotten an MVP vote. Yeah. So he's disrespected, but he's amazing. But there's not like he's got a bunch of stuff working for him. They're going to try to run the ball with Chris Carson. Chris Carson was one of the top running backs in the league last year in terms of uh, broken tackles, total yards after contact. Like Chris Carson is a former seventh-round pick, I believe, at Oklahoma State, who's blossomed into not like a superstar running back, but a guy who just gets the job done. And, again, that's kind of what the Seahawks need. But behind a porous offensive line, I don't know how that's uh, going to work out for him in the, in the entire Seahawks offense. Defensively, like you mentioned, Jadavion Clowney is not there anymore. He's probably not going to sign with the Seahawks. There is no more, like, you know, when Gus Bradley was there, he had really good defensive front that penetrated and two-gapped and linebackers cleaned it up with, you know, Wagner and, and K.J. Wright. And they had Sherman and Legion of Boom. Like, it was, a, it was a perfect cocktail for an amazing yeah. defense. They don't have that anymore. They've got – um, they've still got Wagner and Wright, but as far as their defensive line goes, I can't tell you exactly um, every single person on that offensive line. I know they picked LJ Collier, defensive end from TCU last season. Um, this season, they picked uh, Jordan Brooks, an inside linebacker from Texas Tech, who people thought was like a second or third round pick, and they reached in the first and grabbed him. So he's done some questionable drafting the last couple of seasons, and it's kind of showed over the last few years of the Seahawks being like a good team in, you know, they're a good team because of Russell Wilson. They're not, they haven't been a good team because of like the pieces that they've given Russell Wilson. You know, there's been no one to take the heat off him. The defense hasn't been amazing. Um, so it's an underwhelming defense that, you know, because of the Seahawks, they're going to have a good defense, but if you, mm -hmm. you can't really name half the players on that defense, they're not well known. It's just a bunch of ragtag group of people. Um, so Honestly, there's been a lot of people who've predicted the Rams to be at the bottom of this division. I think you can make a good case for the Seahawks to be mm -hmm. the worst team in the division. When you think about um, they get by on Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson can't be Superman forever. And so let's just say 2020 is one of those years. You know, if Russell Wilson isn't able to be an MVP on a really bad team to make them a middle of the, the, the field team, then it might be a very, very bad team for the Seahawks. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting year because they, 
I mean, Pete Carroll hasn't posted a losing record since 2011. He's had such a long run of just like, I know how to, I just know how to just, just get a little bit of an edge, you know? And, and so you're betting against a guy who hasn't had a really poor NFL season, uh, honest, like since, I mean, really 2010 was, you know, maybe the worst that, that he's been with the Seahawks and they even beat the Saints in the playoffs that year, even though they were seven and nine, you know, Rams fans will remember losing that week 17 game uh, perhaps, but, you know, he's had such a, a long record and Russell Wilson, of course, has had such a, a long record of success, maybe more so than Pete Carroll, but um, at least in terms of the NFL, but with regards to the Seahawks too, it, it just feels like, yeah, when, when Richard Sherman came into the league in 2011 as a fifth round pick, he may have not been known to people, but he was a PFF all pro as a rookie, as a rookie, he came in week five against AJ green and he shut him down. And you knew that the Seahawks had hit gold with Richard Sherman. That second year, Cam Chancellor didn't play as a rookie, but that second year he started a strong safety. He was one of the most exciting players that Seahawks fans had seen since Kenny Easley. Earl Thomas, 14th overall pick, obviously, in 2010. Struggles a bit as a rookie, but the next year he's picking it up, and everyone knows that this Legion of Boom is very special. Going into 2012, I think like the expectations were like, oh, this could be a good team, but maybe Matt Flynn helps them, whatever. Uh, and they started to show like, hey, this is a legit team with Russell Wilson and the Legion of Boom. And Russell Okung was a young left tackle. Max Unger was a, a young Pro Bowl center. Uh, this was this was a talented team. And then Marshawn Lynch, of course, being you know a, a Hall of Fame caliber running back, if he had really uh, perhaps put together two or three more seasons, I think he doesn't. He might not have a full resume at this point, but just exciting week in and week out. When you look at the Seahawks roster now, even if you said like, well, what if Shaquille Griffin gets a little bit better next year? What if Trey Flowers gets a little bit better? They're two starting corners last season. What if Quandre Diggs is like the next uh, Earl Thomas in a way for them? Because he was very good in his five games with them last season, and he's proven to be a pretty good player. Uh, all these what ifs, it wasn't a what if with Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. It was a holy shit. And they don't have any holy shit players right now, it feels like. They've got Russell Wilson, and we just know about him. But as far as the – okay, DK Metcalf is the one holy shit player maybe that they have in terms of a guy that you say, they can continue to get better with this guy. This guy is going to continue to get better. I'm excited about DK Metcalf if I'm Pete Carroll or if I'm Russell Wilson. I'm excited about, you know, you know Dwayne Brown's a solid player. You know Tyler Lockett's a really good player. You've added Greg Olson, and he's been a really good player. Uh, you, maybe you'll get Will Disley back. He's kind of an exciting player when he's been healthy. But overall, I agree, Michael, that they just don't have exciting players, especially on defense, where they'll just need out of nowhere L.J. Collier, a guy who couldn't get into a game with the worst pass rush in the NFL last season. They'll need him to suddenly become something. You know, they're bringing in, like, they're, they're returning guys – uh, for pass rush, it's like they're have coming in with like four or five sacks career. So it's 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 uh it's for the Seahawks. I agree they could be in fourth place. Uh, let's just we're not going to get to the full probably maybe playoffs here. Uh, but Turkey in terms of the NFC West, we've we've broken that down. Uh, for me, I think 
talking it out, I feel like the 49ers have to be number one. Cardinals have to be number two. Uh, for now, I mean, Cardinals could be four and 12. They're the Arizona Cardinals. But right now, I just like what they're, they've got set up. So let's say I like the Cardinals number two. Uh, and I think the Rams and Seahawks are fighting for that number three spot. The NFC next year will have seven playoff teams. So we've got an extra uh, team to get in. So it's a little bit higher odds for both the Seahawks and the Rams and the Cardinals. Um, I'll just say uh, for right now, it's just a toss-up between the Seahawks and the Rams for me. The, they've both got issues and talent and reasons to think of them. Uh, what about for you? Um, I would say I'm, I'm maybe a little more optimistic on the Rams uh, going into this season than, than some. I would say they're still fighting with another team, but I think they'd be fighting with the, the Cardinals to be, you know, whoever is the second or third team in this division. I, you know, you never want to count out the Seahawks. I just, the more we talked about it just now, the more I, I fell on them. And I, I just can't see, unless some pure voodoo magic gets used, I don't see how they're that crazy successful of a team this, this coming season. So I think second behind the 49ers is going to be a battle between the Cardinals and the Rams. And you, you made that statement. You're like, well, they're the Cardinals. You know, they could, they could just go 4-12, and 12, you know, something like that. And, you know, that's honestly a real statement. Again, take it from a guy who's covering the Chargers where, like, they can be 12-4 and four and then they can just, you know, shit the betting and go to 5-11. and 11. Like, that happens to teams. And if this air raid offense doesn't do what it should and teams figure it out and it becomes just the next busted gimmick brought from the college ranks, then I think it's just going to be smooth sailing for the Rams potentially, you know, fall in the second behind the 49ers and, uh, you know, maybe get one of those last spots. Uh in the playoffs in, in 2020. So I'm a little more bullish on the Rams. I think they just are able, if they're able to put it together and I'm so high on, on Cam Akers as a running back and how important that position is for this offense. I think they might surprise a little bit. Yeah. And I guess that kind of does put us in a talk of how to get to the playoffs. You know, if the, if the Cardinals aren't as good as their talent may suggest, and if the Rams have found a upgrade health-wise uh, at running back. If they get some of that mojo working with the offensive line, we can see a, a potential path to the playoffs here. If we do this again, we can go over the Rams schedule maybe and just talk about wins and losses, advantages and disadvantages. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're both kind of in that area of the Rams are certainly uh, look like a team that can compete for a wild card um, at the least. Uh, but we'll see uh, when that whole season uh, transpires. <laughs> uh, Michael Peterson, uh, obviously, uh, bolts from the blue and uh, helping out with the random Ramsdom. Uh, thanks for, for joining and, and talking about the Rams. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. I, I, it's, you know, you kind of forget how easy it is to go for an hour talking about football. So oh. it was nice. So easy. Uh, do you uh, have a, a Twitter or anything? Yes, yes, I have a Twitter. Um, I'm sure you guys would love to follow me at Zone Tracks. Uh, it's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. Um, we have a lot of fun over there. Twitter is something else, especially right now. So um, go ahead and give it a follow. Yep. All right. Uh, and this is it for a Turf Show Times podcast without a name. Uh, follow Turf Show Times on Twitter, and we will talk to you next time.